iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Who are we? We are no one. Our mission is to monitor extraterrestrial activity on Earth. Flacco, you know you're not supposed to be north of Canal Street. Who is Flacco? Just relax, punk. They're looking for me, not you. Crazy, right? Two grown men talking to the wall, wall talking back. It's a mess. But hey, don't even worry about it. Incident report. Access denied. There are things out there you don't need to know. That's not the lie you told me when you recruited me. I promise you the secrets of the universe, nothing more. Well, what other secrets are there? Kay! Kay! I'm looking for Kay. Have you seen him? Sort of a surly older gentleman. He smiles like this. Kay has been dead for over 40 years. Here, take this. Now all you have to do is jump. You want me to jump? Time jump. How do you know my name? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderators, Joel Cohen and Ethan Cohen, and tonight's guest, Barry Sonnenfeld. Or are you just happy to see me? Uh, hi, guys. Um, Joel, let me moderate this. <laughs> I wish you would. Uh, so uh, I asked Joel and Ethan to help me uh, show you guys some uh, clips and talk about uh, the movie and just working together. And before we even get started, I just want to show you guys one other scene because uh, uh, I just want Joel and Ethan to see a little bit more of the movie before uh, we start chatting. So this is a scene where uh, Will Smith has to jump back in time to 1969 to save Tommy Lee Jones's character in the past. And the way he has to get there is to jump off the Chrysler building by holding this time device. So we, I'm gonna show you guys this scene, all right? Remind you of a movie you did? Uh, a shot or two, yeah. Um, that was hysterical, though. It was really funny. Um, uh, 
So yeah, I mean, that's, we didn't get to do it in 3D though. So I, I'm curious what that was, what that whole process was like and how you did it and why you decided, I think, not to shoot in 3D, but to do a conversion. Uh, thanks, Joel. To me, this is like the key question of the evening. <laughs> Um, uh, so let's get it started right away. You know, people sort of give conversion a bad name, but uh, we actually shot tests. We shot tests with the Reality rig. We shot it with the um, uh, Pace rig, all the big 3D rigs, and we shot exactly the same shots in 2D and converted. And at the end of the day, I decided c conversion was better, and here are the reasons. One, you can't shoot digitally. Uh, uh, you can't shoot film in 3D, you have to shoot digital. And all of Rick Baker's makeup and all the alien stuff looked like way better in, on film than, than digitally. Second of all, as you know, I love the 21 millimeter. We love the 21 millimeter. The map box is this big because it has to accept two different camera lenses and the interocular separation. Now you be Will Smith holding a gun and aiming at me with a 21 millimeter lens. Uh, the other hand, please. <laughs> uh, out a little further. Okay, so here's a map box. And I want to track past the gun into your face. I can't. So there are two choices. You can either hold the gun like that and look at me, which is bad, or you can put the gun down as I track it. So you can't use a 21 millimeter. Uh, you can't shoot on film. Um, also, in three, if you shoot in native 3D, you have to choose the interocular separation ahead of time. You can't change that, and that's the amount of depth you have. So what most directors do is since you, it, it hurts the eyes if you keep changing the depth from shot to shot, they have a very narrow interocular separation, separation between the two eyes. So when I think when you see most 3D movies, like I really liked Avatar and I really liked Hugo, but to me all the 3D was at the screen and behind it. There wasn't a lot of in front of. And to me it's very, it feels like a Michael Mann or a, a, um, Ridley or Tony Scott movie where they use long lenses and you don't feel emotionally connected to it. So. With the 21, and you guys will see this movie in 3D, almost the entire movie, the actors are in front of the screen and not behind it. And you can only do that in post-production by making those decisions about convergence and depth. And finally, if you shoot native 3D and you're shooting Will Smith with a 21 millimeter, his nose is here and his ears are back here, right? And what you shoot is what you get by converting we control the layers of depth so we can actually make his face not as voluminous or voluminous. Voluminous. Yeah, voluminous, thanks. <laughs> as you would if you were shooting a native 3D. Just like if you shoot portraits, you, you want to compress the face so the nose doesn't stick out so far. So at the end of the day, when you see this movie, I think it's the best looking 3D movie ever made. Why does anyone shoot in 3D? I cannot begin to tell you why anyone would shoot in 3D unless, there's only one reason. If you're shooting a lot of explosions and there's all this particulate matter where you don't want to rotoscope each piece of glass and all that, other than that, it makes no sense. 
tissue in 3D. a really ignorant question that maybe everybody here except me knows the answer to. I don't get, how do you do conversion? You shot a conventional airy film. Right. How do you know what the different planes are? Uh, 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 you hire a lot of people in India. <laughs> uh, it's all roto. Everything, it's all everything roto. roto. In fact, so what you do is uh, you rotoscope out, which means you cut out, but like from Will Smith's nose to, to the back of his head is probably 15 layers of roto. This is different than this, is different than this. So even, it's, you know, people think that if you convert, you got like three layers, foreground. Most of our shots have 50, 60, 70 layers of roto of cutting out each layer. You have a cut you commit to or just a bunch of shots you commit to and their length and you turn them over for that process. How long does it take? Um, it, we, as you know, because so much of this film is blue screen and uh, visual effects, we were turning sequences over throughout the process. And in some cases, uh, they wanted to start 3D even when a shot wasn't finished. They would put avatar pe people in just to start the roto process. It was probably three to four months. And I can tell you that there are 1,885 shots in this movie. And they were all rotoscoped in three or four months. The whole process cost about $15 million. And if we had shot it in real three, in native 3D, A, we'd still be shooting. B, there's no momentum on the set. C, you've got technicians that have no tech savvy. When we did the uh, initial test, uh, you know, 10 minutes, we, we went to lunch, and 10 minutes into lunch, a technician came to me and said, hey boss, you know all the stuff you, we shot this morning? I said, yeah, he goes, you gotta reshoot it. We, the cable was, what? So uh, there's, I found that right away, I knew the first day there was no reason to shoot in native 3D. And, and uh, the stuff in 3D just looks extraordinary. You would never know except that it looks better because you can control the depth. But here's a threshold question. Um, th I thought that sequence was really hysterical. How much more hysterical is it in 3D? It is twice as funny. And I'll tell you why. It was designed for 3D. So when Will Smith loses his time dial, I made sure that not only the time dial comes way out into the audience, in fact, the time dial is closer to the audience than to Will Smith, but I also made sure at that moment, Will Smith goes into the sh uh, shadow of the building so that your eyes don't try to focus foreground and will at the same time. So what you want to do is darken the background so that your eye isn't trying to decide where do I look, where do, where do I look. Now, that's why this 3D won't hurt and why it looks great. Will Smith is funnier in 3D. Again, and I can tell you why, because I use these wide angle lenses, the slightest movement you know, gives it a total different energy and he's separated from the background in a way that just makes him funnier. And I was thinking, you know, I kept saying that I thought Raising Arizona would look great converted in 3D, which I shot, by the way, Joe and Ethan were involved in the movie as well. But someone said, Hudsucker. 
Yeah. That might be a way to really pull in the big bucks on Hudsucker. Yeah, or <clears throat> I was just thinking the movie we just made might be great in 3D. It's a little movie about a folk singer. <laughs> Um, we had a $15 million budget. So would we be able to do this? You know what? Here's the thing. Double the budget and you'll make it up in China. They love 3D folk singer movies. Uh, you know, Joel and Ethan both worked with uh, Roland and Tommy Lee Jones. So you guys uh, know that Tommy and Josh have very similar physical head sizes. Yeah, well, I was going to, that also seems like a, a, a huge 3D opportunity. Another reason why you'd want to use 21 millimeter lenses. Well, literally the first day I met Josh after, when he came in to meet on the project, because I knew as soon as I read the script that Josh would be perfect playing Tommy, he walked into the room and I said, I cannot wait to see what your head looks like in 3D. Yeah, we actually we did that movie with Josh and Tommy Lee and also Javier Bardem, who also has an enormous head. We would come, come to the set in the morning, I thought I was on Easter Island. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, also, you also worked with Michael Stuhlberg on this, right? Stuhlbarg's kind of a, fantastic. Yes, but, but not an enormous head. You know, not an enormous head, so we gave him a funny hat. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, Stuhlbarg uh, was great in the movie, and you guys worked with him on, uh, on uh, A Serious Man, and uh, Stuhlbarg is sort of this amazing, magical uh, alien, and when you, you see him, he's, he's pretty fantastic in the movie, and... Uh, uh, Mike Jermaine is in the movie Clement. You guys haven't worked with him, but he would have been good in a folk singer movie. He's, yeah, you'll see him tomorrow night at the premiere. Yeah. So I'm curious about the roto. What, was there feedback? Like, would you get shots back and say, yeah. this looks like shit, the roto is sloppy, or not? Um, it was never that. Or did you get him back and say, uh, it needs more planes, we need to separate more? Uh, the main, the main thing you, you needed to do when you got to ro Roto back, and I would have Roto sessions, they were called turnover sessions, because it's less about that, but how much more depth. If you make too many layers of depth, the layers are all there, but you decide how much to compress them or not. Right. So we're here. If we push this wall further back, like in Men in Black headquarters, sometimes you, you would push it too far back, and it looked like the people were either in, like, in a dollhouse or a diorama. Uh, and you see that in 3D even like, I don't know if you guys saw Transformers, but suddenly there are some shots. I mean, it was a great looking movie except for the shots that looked like they were shot on green screen, but weren't. So you want depth, but if you go too far back, people look miniature. You want to, uh, sometimes you want to bring the convergence further out into the audience, but it starts to hurt the eyes because the previous shot was too far back. So that's all stuff. Once they do the layers of roto, you then have a turnover session to decide how much depth there is. Uh -huh. And uh, it's, it's just part of the actual creative directorial process. And it was incredibly fun. You know, like, like when Will Smith, when that time dial comes into the foreground, we pushed it as far as we could until it hurt, and then backed it off from that. Shots like that were, 
you never would have been able to achieve that. Well, plus, we would have all been hurt falling off the Chrysler building if we had shot it in native 3D. Did you think about that at all just in terms of lighting? Like, was it lit more flat than no. you might? No, not at all. No. Uh, <clears throat> my wife is in Transformers, but I haven't seen it. Uh, uh, Fran is really, Fran, both Fran and Totoro are really good in that movie. And there's a really good scene in Chicago, isn't there, with that uh, coring apple thing that eats the building? Although I never understood why you would climb to the top of a building and like face all those aliens to get to the top, to jump off, to get back to the bottom, to tell the guys that are arriving, get the aliens. There's a, but it looked cool getting it. But anyway, you, you'll explain it to me later because you've seen it more than once, I can tell. Yeah. Uh, questions? Yes. Questions. Questions. My question is for you guys. Um, okay, when you make films, right, they're so well thought out. I mean, when you, I, I had to watch Barton Fink four times before I fully understood it. How, when, how do you write that stuff? Because, I mean, just watching it, you know, it takes me a while to fully understand it a couple of times even. How, how would you write it? How do you even think of that? The undertones, you know what I'm saying? The stuff that's not said that we have to figure out as an audience for ourselves. How do you do that? Well, you shouldn't feel bad about that. Uh, it's, uh, there's only one French critic who understands the movie as far as I know. Um, I, um, how do we write? You know, that, that one in particular was so long ago. It, I can honestly tell you I have no recollection whatsoever how we came up with that. Um, you know, more recently, the stuff that we've done is, you know, it's just like anything else. You sit in a room and you bad ideas around and somehow you come up with a story. What was in the box at the end? <laughs> I don't know, but I have it on a bookshelf at, really? at, in the office. I should open it up and look sometime. Um, yeah. This question is for Barry. Uh, for the movie itself, uh, what were Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones, Josh Brolin, and Emma Thompson like from your point of view? Uh, well, they were all really great to work with. This is the third movie we did with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. Exactly. And uh, even though we hadn't worked together in 10 years, it was like we had just not spent a weekend together. It was equally joyful and uh, you know Tommy and Will love each other and uh, the three of us love working together. Emma's fantastic, she's really smart. She uh, basically wrote a key scene in the movie that uh, takes place uh, in Men in Black headquarters when Will can't find Tommy Lee Jones and um, Brolin's fantastic, he practically steals the movie uh, playing uh, young Tommy Lee Jones. So. Uh, Brolin, you know, this is the third movie that Josh and Tommy have been in, but never acted in the same scene. Weird. You know, this That's movie. Right. They didn't in they're never together. Uh, no. The Valley of Ella. Uh, yeah. And No Country. So How they've got bizarre. a career. Yeah. But That's they were great. Very, yeah, that is very interesting. Yeah, yeah right. You can't yeah, fit, you the can't same fit room. them all in the same frame. <laughs> um. Well, you know, that actually, I'm curious. Okay, so Emma wrote a, a scene in this, but you went into the movie with only half a screenplay, right? No. <laughs> <coughs> Joe! 
Ah, Joe. No, uh, absolutely not. You guys know from directing your own little movies uh, how... uh, No, 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 that was... uh, They're all little movies. Um, uh, That... (laughs) That you can't start a movie without a screenplay. You don't know where to scout, how much it's going to cost, what scene should be in or out. We had a full screenplay. There were just scenes that we needed to make better. So, uh, but uh, that, uh, Joel, is uh, very... uh, That's apocryphal, huh? That's Uh, apocryphal. Did you ever hit Ethan Cohen? Yes, and as you know, Ethan Cohen is not Ethan Cohen, but they have the same letters, just in a different order, so... Yeah, lamest anagram ever. Say what? Lamest anagram ever. (laughs) That is a lame anagram. But Ethan just recently emailed me to ask me to have the head of Sony stop sending him notes on uh, uh, Ghostbusters 3, which is being written by Aton Cohen. How's it going? Is, are they happy? Amy Pascal, the head of, head of Sony, head right? Of Sony. She Chairman. kept sending me emails congratulating me on the script for Ghostbusters 3, and I told her I was like happy to be included, but I was puzzled. <laughs> Well, you know, as long as you get the residuals. Yeah, uh, yeah I got a qu- uh, question. Um, can you talk a little bit about when Spielberg first brought you uh, on for the original Men in Black project and what that was like? <coughs> if that's true. Um, no, I was on before Steven was. Um, uh, the producers of Men in Black, Walter Parks and Laurie McDonald, had an overall deal at Sony Pictures. Uh, they hired me to direct Men in Black and then were hired to run Amblin Studios. Uh, so when they went over to Amblin, they brought this project to Amblin. So it, it's an Amblin production at Sony Pictures. But uh, So Steven came on uh, after I was already on. And, you know, on the first Men in Black, I would show him storyboards and he would laugh and... Um, uh, you know, um, on my birthday, he sent me a, a Men in Black outfit on the first Men in Black. Um, but um, I remember showing him the storyboards of when, in the first Men in Black, when Will is being sort of trying to help this alien mother give birth in the background while in the foreground, Tommy Lee Jones is interviewing an alien. And I remember him looking at the storyboards, which were written, by, which were done by J.T. Anderson. And, uh, um, and how much he laughed, so he, he got the joke right away. So uh, that's the Steven Spielberg relationship. Will Smith, you know, he's falling down the building, the, uh, the wind tunnel lip, blubbery yeah, lip thing? Yeah. Is that just like Ritter, or did you help that? Uh, no, what we did is um, there were two things. There was a big fan yeah. that was blowing his outfit, and then we had a tiny little nozzle of uh. compressed air. <laughs> And I would, you know, they would aim it. It was just off the lens, and Will would find exactly, you know. He would catch it. He would catch it. Uh-huh. And, yeah, and uh, in fact, there are several, several of those shots uh, are Avatar Will that blend on his face, that blend in to real Will. Like when he loses the time dial and spins around, that's about three or four shots, and there's probably... 40 or 80 or 100 frames within it to blend that are avatars. We had avatars of Brolin, Will Smith, uh, Jermaine, and Michael Stuhlbarg that are pretty fantastic. 
and you can finally do your Brando blue screen movie. <laughs> that's that's been a dream of ours. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we thought at one point when Marlon Brando was still alive that he should paint himself blue, put himself up to the neck, put himself in a room, do all kinds of different emotions so that you could then essentially composite him into any movie. Without having to be on the set with Yes, right. Um, we thought there would be a market for nude Brando inserts. <laughs> I just want to say thank you guys for coming. There's such imagination and vision on the stage right now. Thank you. Uh, huge fan of all your films, Men in Black. When I saw that in theaters, great, great as a child, great. Um, you guys seem to just feed off each other. You were really, you know, paying attention to what he was saying. Do you guys call each other up, so, you know, think about, you know, do you run ideas back and forth? And, and you two as brothers, how do you guys just say, hey, let's, we're going to do this, we're going to stick to this. Do you guys call each other constantly? I got an idea. It's, it seems like craziness. <laughs> it does. Your movies are great. It just well, seems like craziness. I got to tell you, this has all been really interesting to me. The 3D thing. Uh, no, we don't talk to each other as much as we used to. Well, you know, we used to work together. Um, but the 3D thing is genuinely interesting. The conversion thing. I guess I knew. What else could it be? I guess I knew it must have been Roto. But that's so bizarre. That's such a weird process. When you see it tomorrow night, you'll definitely want to make your next movie uh, because you guys think in 3D just like I do. It's, it's, it's so much fun. Um, yeah. Um, but, no, we don't... I mean, we, we, we have less contact with each other now than we did years ago. Um, we, we call each other every now and then to try and retrieve what we call the lost joke of East Hampton, which is a joke that Barry told us 30 years ago in East Hampton, and we can't remember. And, and we all, by sort of mutual agreement, we decided that it was the funniest joke we'd ever heard, but none of us can remember what it is. So every now and then we, we think we hear it, or we're not sure if we've heard the joke. And we get in touch with, you, with each other to find out whether or not that Barry is Barry will call the, us up really excited and say, line. was it? Yeah. And we go now, and we all kind of get deflated. And we were online uh, outside the movie theater uh, in East To Hampton. see uh, Pursuit of D.B. Cooper? Was it to see Pursuit of D.B. <laughs> Cooper? You know, yeah. That's horrifying. Before we st started every movie, when we were working together, we always watched the same two movies. Uh, Dr. Strangelove and The Conformist. No matter what movie we were making or how relevant or irrelevant it, it was. What was the second feature we, what was it? Oh, we walked out of nine months and went into the Clint Eastwood stealing the Russian plane Firefox. Yes. Was that what it was called? Yeah. In uh, Austin, Texas. And Anyway, true story. I walked out of, um Eyes wide shut, and they're you know in a multiplex, and went into Lake Placid where the gator eats people, <laughs> which was kind of good. But then I I watched the whole movie and walked back in, and because a friend was at eyes wide shut, and the movie still wasn't done. No, yeah. <laughs> but then again, he did direct Doctor Strangelove. Right. We have a question in the third row. Um. So, the three of you all have very technical minds in order to direct and handle all this information about 3D and lenses and everything, and yet your humorous movies are so funny. Is humor... Uh, <laughs> is, is humor another technical piece of the puzzle to you, or is it something ephemeral that has to be like protected from 
all the technical sides of directing? Uh, I'll start. Um, I think that uh, a perfect comedy, uh, if you look at uh, Preston Sturgis or His Girl Friday or... Um, Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. Uh, what was that? Dr. Strangelove. Or Dr. Strangelove is... It's great when the audience decides where the comedy is and you set up the camera and don't get in the way of it. So uh, in like Dr. Strangelove, the opening shot where George C. Scott is uh, you know, surrounded by mirrors and he's on the phone, it's about four minutes with not a cut. When, when uh, Jack D. Ripper is telling Mandrake uh, about helping him shoot the, the U.S. soldiers out the Venetian blind, goes away well, talking about children's milk and it goes on for minutes without a cut. I think what, what problem I have with a lot of modern comedies, and part of this is sort of a Saturday Night Live mentality, is it's much more improvisational. There are a lot of cameras set up. There's a lot of improvisation. There's a lot of cutting. You cut to close-ups for punchlines. I prefer uh, playing it more out in a two-shot with a 21-millimeter lens so the audience finds the comedy. You create an absurd scene and then let the actors play it for the reality of the scene and no one tries to be funny. You don't want the DP to light it funny. You don't want the composer to compose funny music. You just write funny stuff and then let the audience find the comedy. That's, I think, what we used to do and still do. Yeah, I thought the opening scene of Dr. Strangelove was two planes having sex. All right, the second scene. Okay. Yeah, the, the first scene is two planes having sex and there are several cuts. You're right. Um, but no, I, I think that's everything Barry said. I, that's, that's all very true. It's interesting, though, that so many comedies look so shitty, though, isn't it? I think that, I know, I think it's two things. One is I think because they shoot multiple cameras, they just light it up so everyone's lit and there are pieces of noses and stuff like that. But I also think there's become an aesthetic, an anti-stylization aesthetic, and it, it makes me sad how unstylized and ungood-looking most modern comedies are. Yeah, and, you know, and also probably to a certain extent just the fact that a lot of people who make you know, comedies or sort of you know, make them exclusively anyway um, are not that interested in technical aspects of... Or came up through writing. Or, or came up through writing, right. yeah. We have time for two more questions. Hi, guys. Um, I'm uh, your colleague in the sense I'm producing direct, uh, direct commercials. But I have a question. Um, ideally, I would love actually to have Joe anything to direct and you do uh, produce and uh, do the 3D shooting of the picture. Um, and uh, the question is, I did uh, give the screenplay to Robin Williams, and he loved it, based on Robert Shackley, Mind Swap. And uh, how would you... Um, like, did you like working with Robin, uh, are we, and uh, would you like to work with him again? And how do I get the script to you besides former channels going through agent and the offer? Uh, I, I loved working with Robin. We had a good time. He's incredibly funny. Uh, he also is a really smart guy. And um, unfortunately, you have to go through uh, channels for legal reasons. So you have to, con you know, look on IMBD Pro and contact my, uh, my guys. 
And do you guys, uh, do you do some other offers or just the movies you make yourself, you write yourself? Just our own. All right. All right. Thank you, though. Thank you Last very much. Last question. Um, yeah. Barry, I was just wondering uh, what your personal favorite Coen Brothers movie was. And okay. the, over here? Sorry. Oh, hi. Hi. Um, yeah, I was just wondering what your personal favorite Coen Brothers movie was, and then vice versa, Joel and Ethan, what your favorite Barry Sonnenfeld film is. Well, my favorite Coen Brothers movie that I shot was Miller's Crossing. Uh, I, I thought it was my best work as a cinematographer, and I loved working on that movie. I loved working with Joel and Ethan. I thought it was a brilliant movie. Um, uh, I love that movie. I also just uh, also recently loved uh, A Serious Man, which I thought was truly brilliant, uh, just phenomenal. So those two are my personal two favorites. And uh, uh, Joe and Ethan can tell you how much fun we had in New Orleans. Uh, we arrived and we were living at a hotel called The Canal Place. And Within a week of us being there, a hurricane, uh, big neon letters across the top that said Canal Place. Within the first week, the letter C was destroyed by a hurricane. And literally for the next eight months, Joel and Ethan and I would get done shooting and we spent every waking moment together. And I'd go, do uh, you guys want to go out tonight and get something to eat? It's Saturday night and Ethan would go, no, let's just go back to the anal place. And we would laugh and laugh. I like, we like all of Barry's. Uh, we really, or, no, I think we both did. We really we liked, did. Yes. we really liked RV. RV. It's funny he asked about Robin Williams. And in fact, it was we. really good. And, you know, we, the glorified brothers. We just stole that, you know, the, 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 well, the name and used it for characters in the movie we just did. But Wait, that, what name? The Gorefines. Gorefine. Oh, yeah. really? Yes. In yeah. fact, it's a couple, and you'll appreciate this, although it may be a corporal joke, Private, but it's. <laughs> It's a couple named Mitch and Lillian Gorefine. Really? Uh, we're talking about uh, our uh, mutual key grip here. Um, well, thanks, guys. You know, uh, uh, here's something about RV. We both stole uh, the concept of a day or a lifetime. Yes. Uh, in RV, on the side of the RV, uh, there's an eight-foot picture of me, and it says, for a day or a lifetime, rent me. And in Barton, in Barton Fink, Fink, the Hotel Earl, and that, that, that comes from? From uh, where we lived uh, in Austin, Texas on uh, Blood Simple, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Telegraph Hill Apartments. We, we did this little sort of, you know, uh, short-term rental apartments in check-in, and on the stationery it said, Telegraph Hill Apartments for a day or a lifetime. <laughs> We all Which agreed it was the most depressing <laughs> logo. <laughs> but by the way, uh, when you see um, uh, Men in Black 3, you'll, uh, you won't see it for a day or a lifetime, but you will see several references uh, to Dr. Strangelove where I've put CRM 114 in several places. Yeah. Is Tom Prophet still working? No, he's uh, quite retired. But his mustache is still working, which is weird. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you uh, very much. So make sure you convert your movie. Thank you again so much to Barry Sonnenfeld, Joe Cohen, and Ethan Cohen. One more time, guys. Thank you so much.